Welcome to the Evolve Pod, brought to you by Evolve Wellbeing Group. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 18 of the Evolve Pod. Today's guest is a really interesting guy. He's brought together some really cool parts of well-being in terms of the things like nutrition, physical exercise and the outdoors and I'm really excited to bring you his story of how he's got to this point. So I'm introducing you to Fell Foodie, his name's Harrison Ward and we've connected over Instagram and the person who connected us, I know you're listening and thank you very much for that, genuinely appreciate it. Um, Harrison, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you sir, yeah, thank you for having me on. No problem, I know you're a bit, you're quite keen on the gym these days, I'm sorry if we've kind of put your routine out for, for this evening, but thanks for joining me today, appreciate you giving up your time. Yeah, so, so your love of food shines through all your, uh, your Instagram and your website, where did, this, uh, where did this love of food begin, where did it all start? Well, food's sort of always been a constant for me really, I guess, I've always, always had that sort of passion uh, from a very young age. Um, I, I've got sort of early memories from sort of cooking with my grandmother, sort of even some through childhood. Um, ended up there after school, helping out, and always put to work in a way. I guess I was I was the eldest of all the all the cousins at one point, sort of the first grandchild. So I was kind of um, put to work in the kitchen when the family family events were on. I guess so. It was all baking initially, uh, little bits of the Sunday dinners and stuff, but it just sort of sparked something in me. I think, and I've always enjoyed exploring different cultures and different ingredients from around the world and researching bits via cookbooks and cooking shows and and of course eating the stuff as well I mean that's the that's <laughs> thing in the end but yeah food's always been a lover sometimes sometimes too much but uh yeah do you find someone with a passion for food you know I've, I don't necessarily have a passion for cooking but sometimes I find if I've spent time cooking a meal I don't necessarily want to eat it do you find that when you've made something and you kind of can't wait to get stuck in Sometimes, yeah, I, mean, I understand where you're coming from with that, though. I mean, I, I did do little spells um, in kitchens at one point. I mean, we'll come to that sort of when I worked in hospitality and stuff in the past. But, but certainly sometimes, I mean, I'm always a big one for, for almost the hosting side as well. So I love bringing people together and how food brings people around the table, uh, whether that's in an outdoor setting around sort of the campfire or the camp stove or even um, at home in the kitchen. But, yeah, at times I think you can be that focused on all the different pans on the hobs and different things in the oven, what's going on, that sometimes, yeah, you you've picked little bits as you've gone and you've almost grazed away that you've sort of uh, almost nullified that, that feeling of, uh, of hunger. But um, yeah, yeah, depends, depends. The cook always eats last anyway. Definitely. That's really interesting though. You kind of already sort of allude to the fact that you, you love the way that the food brings people together. And in actual fact, how I think quite often we see food as just a quick part of the day. You know, I need to eat, so I'm going to grab something and I'm going to eat it. But it almost feels like, as a society, we're losing the uh, the benefit of having meals together and sitting and enjoying that company with our families and friends and you know wider communities and stuff. Is that is that a, a big thing for you these days? I certainly think so. Yeah, I mean, as you've as you've touched on there, I think it is something we are losing more. I mean, at one point it was almost you were setting the table as you sort of as a job, weren't you? As a, as a chore. Um, I know maybe it's something you instill. I know you, you've got children, Ali. Maybe it's something you instill in them to set the table and whatnot. But it's, it's um, yeah, more so as, as we get busy and sort of rushing around and as things get in the way with work or even other sort of extracurricular stuff we do in our spare time, I guess we, we're almost just more likely to be sat in front of the sofa now with the plates on our lap, aren't we? But, yeah, I've always loved the fact that it, it does 
more that sort of continental approach of sort of when the when the weather's nice, especially of sitting outdoors or getting people <laughs> together around the table and everyone sort of chipping in and and sharing the stories and sharing the love of food, really. But hopefully, yeah. it's something we can bring back and not lose. Definitely. Well, I think if I'm ever up in the Lake District soon, I'll come up and, and we'll share some food. Sounds like it sounds like a great experience. Don't let me cook though. It won't be that great. <laughs> um, so you've, you've talked about the, the hospitality and, and, and how did you get into the hospitality? Was that something that kind of as a as a family, as a child, you were just that was part of your lifestyle? It, it wasn't actually. No, I mean, a lot of people think that because I, I did start very early on. So I was sort of. Um, even as early, I think I'm in 13, 13, 14, I sort of got working in hospitality sort of thing. So um, it wasn't like forced. It wasn't anything to sort of get, get to work, you know, start bringing, start bringing some money and whatnot. I mean, I did sort of grow up by my mum, sort of, um, you know, single parent, that sort of thing as well. But things were okay on that front. It just felt natural to me to, to pick up a job as you do at that time. You know, you had the paper boys and, and little waiting on jobs. And I found a job just pot washing at the time in the kitchens. And um it was just general sort of pub fair at the time, I guess. I got into hospitality that way and uh, gradually things sort of developed. And the next minute I was I was helping out with the prep work and I was even cleaning the bits and I was in the cellars and all sorts. And and things went from there. I just sort of, I, I really liked that, again, that social aspect to it and what brought people together and the different stories you heard and and always having time, I guess, for, you know, sometimes the, the older boys or girls who are, in, who are in the pubs and the hospitality and just listening to what they had to say and what they'd gone through in their lives. And I just, I've always enjoyed that that idea of uh, hearing different stories, as I'm sure you have on this podcast, Ali, um, meeting many different people. But it got started that way, yeah, and that was sort of 13, 13 onwards. And from then it just sort of developed into, into being quite a mainstay for me um, throughout sort of my educational years and, and even afterwards. I, I, so I've, as we spoke offline, I've worked in hospitality for many, many years as well. And there's so much there that I can relate to in terms of, you know, I remember this old boy in Dublin who used to sit, sit and prop up the bar all day and just listening to his stories was just fantastic because you just, I don't know, you just learn stuff about life from listening to these guys and, and girls with all the experience. And mm. hospitality is a great industry for the sort of social aspect. But um, I think one thing that we both understand and have experienced is the slightly darker side of the hospitality industry, which is something I kind of, I'd like to get, involved sort of your take on on that sort of thing and your experience so we're going to talk about sort of alcohol and sort of alcohol addiction and dependence so you said yeah. you said you started working in hospitality at 13 years old at what point did this kind of um the sort of social aspect change from being sort of quite fun and quite a cool quite novel experience into this experience where it was kind of like okay I need to get involved I need to start having a few beers which then kind of leads on to uh, quite a regular habit do you know can you kind of identify that I can yeah I mean it certainly wasn't something that I wasn't um I wasn't sort of the underage sort of sneaking down the cellar or even <laughs> slid the pint on the end I mean even though I'm brought up in sort of quite a rural area of Cumbria I mean those things were were blind I turned slightly more but it's uh I was very much, it was very much up until up until 18 that it really started uh, coming into the lifestyle more. Um, even sort of the stories of heading down at, down the park with your mates with sort of a, a bottle of a uh, cheap cider and stuff wasn't wasn't really my scene at, at the time, even though I was around it. But I guess it, it was sort of 18 when I became of age to actually start working behind the bar, I guess, or legally that sort of way. So I'd mainly been sort of kitchens and back of house uh, with a bit of bit of bit of waiting on. Um, but once I moved to sort of the front of the house, then I think by that stage, 
I was quite quickly introduced to that lifestyle. And again, because I enjoyed the social and liked to stay around and, and like to sort of um, be in people's company and be uh, almost that fear of missing out, I guess, as well. I didn't like to sort of just go home and be back. But it also helped me sort of um, escape a bit, I guess, sort of 14, 15, going through puberty and stuff. I, I know there's a lot of changes sort of in myself as well, not just the physical that you, you, you expect to go through, but a lot of sort of mental changes too, where I really found myself getting hit all of a sudden with this, this complete sense of you know, insecurity and like self-esteem issues and um, lots of self-loathing and just just a lot, lot of demotivation at all completely and to the point where it was even bordering on on, on thoughts of not wanting to exist any longer really and, uh, and wanting to look look for escape and um and I think alcohol I think initially just helped me forget about that you know it helped me sort of I was working quite a bit I mean I was probably doing maybe even four four or five nights at that point even though I was still at school and stuff at the time so it was, it was almost full-time hours but you'd always um always have time afterwards to, to, to enjoy the downtime too and then head out head out to the other pubs perhaps on the Friday evening but it just seemed as an escape from it all back then um just just nothing more than innocent innocent sort of British coming of age culture really that they're so ingrained in us I think. Do you think as a as a sort of teenager when you you know those thoughts and feelings you just you just spoke about there about you know the insecurity and the, and the, the complete loss of motivation and you know questioning what it's all about and what who you are and what you are did you have the opportunity to to or did you even think that there was places you could go or people you could go and speak to about those things or did you just kind of like bottle it up and kind of just try and process it inside and then you know when you're at school you're at school when you're at work you're at work and then when you're on your own you're kind of on your own and that's when those thoughts kind of come in yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think that was that was really the key thing for me was I I hated that being being alone, just myself with the four walls of my own thoughts, and and that was something that really, as we'll go on, really led me to sort of crave that sort of escape and heading out for that social or, or the illusion of social, as it was. Um, but no, at the time, I, I didn't really know what it was. I didn't really I didn't really say a lot of things. I think even even looking back and talking through with even like my mum and stuff, what she'd noticed, it was, she just felt, I mean, occasions I was, you know, trying to skip school and stuff and stay through, just not wanting to go in. She wasn't sure if it was, you know, maybe like bullying at school or if it was just certain things or not getting along or or even perhaps just just being bone idle and just wanting to stay, stay in and just yeah. play on my PlayStation perhaps. But it was, uh, it, it was something that I didn't understand and didn't really, you didn't get spoke a lot about. It wasn't really mentioned much, um, you know, through school or even through medical advice sort of thing that way. And certainly something I didn't share with with peers either. So it felt more like, for me, I, I didn't want to put my problems onto somebody else. So I kept them internally, uh, struggled through that sort of way. And you don't want to be known as as that sort of almost, almost burden or someone bringing things down all the time. So it was something that I kept, kept myself completely and kept myself for a long, long while, even into sort of early adulthood, really. Um, Looking back, I do think that was a bit of a bit of a mistake. Um, you know, I was worried about the backlash of what would happen, or didn't know where to turn. But thankfully, I think a lot more is discussed about it now, and hopefully, people are more aware of um, of options they have, and um, and people's understanding of these issues now as well. But for me, yeah, it just felt like I was the only one suffering from this, and it was something I had to just battle on alone and, and silently. And it's quite likely that one of your peers at the time was probably going through similar things i would imagine being teenagers you do have emotions and things that you can't really control that really do bring you down from time to time but it's 
it's easy to say that on reflection that you know I probably should have spoken to someone when at the time it's like that's the last thing you probably want to do right I can totally understand how then a really kind of tight bond would grow quite quickly with the social aspect and the booze in terms of that environment of being in a pub and kind of almost creating this persona that everything's great everything's cool and inside when you're like you say when you're on your own everything's not great and everything's not cool it's actually pretty um horrendous and quite dark how was what was that journey like for you then i mean i mean yeah how, how reliant did that did that kind of did you become on the booze well, it was something i didn't really really realize or even sort of come to terms with for quite for quite a long period really even even while i was in amongst it um I mean, as I said, it was 18 before I really even started touching him, sort of drink at all. I mean, my, my dad would sort of let me have a little bit when I went to visit him, sort of little samples. It was never something that was kept like secret or hidden away from you. But as I said, I wasn't someone who was sneaking it behind the back or, you know, sneaking the keys to the chiffonier and getting the spirits out or anything. It was. But yeah, that's all that sort of style. I mean, I quickly enjoyed, as I say, that just just being out the social side and very much the escapism side for my own head as well. It, it, as you say, it almost felt like that that sort of source of almost dopamine endorphin hit that you were getting just sort of helped sedate those darker thoughts and those, those, those other things going on um, when you were, when you weren't drinking. So it was something that quite quickly um, I saw was quite medicinal for myself, if I'm honest. I, it was almost, I mean, I didn't, again, I wasn't talking about the, what I was suffering from at the time. Um, I now know it to be clinical depression or something I've, I've suffered from um, since that age and to this day, but, at the time, I had no idea, and, and really, I saw it as as almost a medicinal way to sort of um, self medicate um, from these ailments I was having. But quickly, it did become become a poison for me, really. Um, but it wasn't really until I moved to York for university um, that things really started to escalate. I mean, I, I was working, as I mentioned, quite a long time in the hospitality trade from a young age, and then eighteen, I was introduced to that sort of world. And by by the time I went to university at nineteen. Um, so only a year later, I, I was regularly sort of, you know, having double figure nights sort of in the pints after work, um, heading that sort of way. You know, as no, as I, I like to drink, I sort of handle a bit. You know, some of my friends at school didn't quite um, frequent that same lifestyle. They weren't sort of ones that they wouldn't be down the pub on a Friday night like me. We'd still meet up separately, but I'd be like, you know, come on, let's go go for a few in town and whatnot. And things started to distance slightly that way um, from, I guess, my initial groups as well. Um, at this point, I'd also taken up smoking full time. I'd never touched a cigarette before I was 18. If anything, I was quite firmly adamant and against them, really, uh, through school. And by this point, that, that sort of fell into it, too. I mean, again, that sort of social side of hospitality. And again, as you'll know, it's, it's almost a way to get a break in that industry. I mean, when you work <laughs> that long shift, you know, especially those who are in the kitchens and stuff, it's almost an excuse to get out and have five minutes of, of so-called fresh air is to go and... Um, spark up outside for five minutes but um definitely yeah. i can i can remember that <clears throat> you know when you're trying yeah. to get when you're trying to give up smoking uh, in the hospitality industry you lose your breaks essentially so you kind of like think well, I, might, yeah. I might just keep going and keep going for another few weeks but yeah it's um it, all these things kind of they all sort of tie in together don't they the sort of the drinking and the smoking and, and that sort of environment and then so yeah what, what happened then when you got to university yeah, so I mean, obviously, I started starting my studies out there, and obviously, I went to study business in the end, and and things were looking quite promising on that front. But and I quickly found myself getting a job as well back in that sort of trade uh, in York, and 
Well, all of a sudden, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of a country, country lad growing up, sort of quite rural. I'm just sort of outside Carlisle, sort of near, near Hadrian's Wall, so in the countryside. And, and York might not be quite a big city to some, but for me, it was it was a different level of things, really. The fact I could just sort of, sort of walk in, walk into town, have access to all these different pubs and bars and even nightclubs that are open until, you know, four or five in the morning. We didn't have that in Carlisle at all, really. I mean, we had probably had sort of two or three clubs, and, and even then that was a, a 10-mile bus ride or a 30-quid taxi away, so it just wasn't very accessible at the time. Um, but quite quickly, again, through through all innocent sort of social stuff at first and freshers and meeting new people at university, you find yourself out more and more and more. Um, that's just the way to socialise, and that's the culture of it. And, and again, that's completely completely fine for most. Um, and a good way to sort of uh, lose those inhibitions a bit and get to meet new people and enjoy that new side of your life. But for me, again, it, it started to reveal that darker side um, for myself. And, and as time went on, my studies sort of fell by the wayside and alcohol was becoming my sole sort of focus. Um, and that job in the hospitality, of course, was, was paying for this. So quite quickly, my studies uh, began to fall to the side. And I actually went full time in hospitality in the end by by sort of the end of my first year of study. Um, at this point, I mean, my, 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 whole, my whole lifestyle had changed around, around alcohol at this point. It was now, it was all I was, all I was really doing. It was my focus of what I was doing on my way to work, um, what I was doing at work, then after work, obviously working to get the funds for it and then heading straight out um, into town afterwards. And by this point, I sort of distance so again from sort of university friends. They maybe didn't work coming out as much because they were focused on studies now. I was finding different groups to go out with. And before long, really, I'd, I'd actually ballooned in weight um, by putting about seven stone on um, during this point, all of about a three-month period of just completely uh, a lethargic lifestyle, and unhealthy lifestyle with the alcohol, plus, I guess, falling in the kebab shop on the way home too often. And um, so I'd packed on this weight and I was now regularly consuming sort of a good over 20, 20 pints daily at this point. Um, I, 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 was, I, I was sort of drinking from the, get, from the get-go, really, from when I got up in the morning, it was sort of hair of the dog, start again, you know, filling my coffee cup at work, you know, so people weren't knowing what's going on then, all the way through to the early hours of the morning every day. So it was something that, again, I didn't see at the time. I just saw myself as, as a heavy drinker, someone who enjoyed a drink, and now I was in that industry as well, and I was full time in that industry. It just felt as if that that was that was the routine. That was that was it. It was it, and it wasn't a peer pressure thing. It wasn't it wasn't colleagues. It was all solely myself, and all driven as well on this escape of not wanting to be stuck at home. I didn't drink at home. I never did drink at home really. I'm not wanting to just suddenly go back and just sit in that shared room, shared house, sorry, in that room alone just back to my own head it, it was it was all an escapism thing but it took a long time to realize really where, where I'd fell to I mean this by this point I'm, I'm still sort of only only 20 um but there was darker days to come at this point really it's really interesting it's re I really appreciate being so open about this because it's it's quite um you know it's, I'm, I'm sure it brings back some some thoughts and feelings but yeah, it's really, I find it really interesting. I was going to ask you, were you kind of in this completely solo or were you kind of, did you have sort of drinking buddies that might have known what was going on? But from the sounds of it, it was kind of like sort of hopping between different groups. And But your main priority was just to drink, to escape and not have to be at home with your own thoughts, which is, um, yeah, I can imagine, you know, I, I kind of know as well. It's not a nice 
place to be for anybody. And uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased that you're here now and able to talk about it so eloquently because people are going to learn from this and are going to experience it. But so then you, you kind of said there you're 20 years old. Yep. At what point did you then realise, hang on a minute, like 20 pints a day, there might be something I'm doing here that I probably shouldn't be. But did, was it pointed out to you? Did you realise? Did something happen? Did, did how, how did that come about to, to almost start the process to, to, to where you are now sitting here talking to me? I mean, I mean, looking back now that there was there was there was still there was still quite a few years um, to go by that point before I'd even sort of come to terms with the fact that I was more than a heavy drinker. Um, I, I, look, I can look back now and see moments of attempted intervention at times, whether it be family, whether it be some close friends, uh, certainly friends and that from school, um, who again didn't really embrace this this lifestyle. Certainly not to the extent I did. Well, I suppose not many did, but. Um, but not even sort of in terms of it just wasn't what they do. They, they would always be like once a month sort of heading out. And for me, that was just completely alien um, to do that. I mean, I, I was riding that scene, you know, as you mentioned, it was quite solitary, but had all these different groups. And are, I mean, most of them now have remained as friends, but some were certainly acquaintances that just sort of almost fit, fit the routine and fit the sort of lifestyle at the time. But you'd bounce between them because they'd be, they'd be doing their, their daily things and going home or they'd be out for a few and getting sozzled and then heading home and you just move on to the next group and the next group would think you've just come out or you've maybe had one before and really I was I was someone that was I didn't change a lot under under the influence so much I didn't I just became gradually more more sedate and it was one thing that I, I'd always sometimes ask in some of the bars I frequented often sort of if I was particularly heavy nights you know I'd go in sort of a bit head held low thinking oh what have I done and I've made a show of myself I'd always ask them, I was like, okay, yesterday. And I went, oh, absolutely fine. Yeah, you know, you're still still pleasing, thank you, still polite in this. But it was very much just as if I was there and I was heading for this quota daily. And that was my sort of head thinking, I've, I've got to get myself to this point of almost blackout or oblivion. And that was always the aim. As much as I did, I, I enjoyed alcohol. I enjoyed the taste as well. I enjoyed various bits. And there were some bits I, I, I preferred other bits to, 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 to others. But Ultimately, that was what I was going for every time. I, I was drinking for that complete um, forget, just literally just to just to exist and get through another day for me. And it was something that I think without without that mechanism and without that sort of um, vice to fall back on, I don't think I would have got through that phase. If I'm honest, Ali, I think it, there, there was moments where I, I did. I did want to completely, completely end it during that point, and 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 it really came to a head when I'm on my 21st birthday. Really, when I had a lot of friends come to visit in York, and one by one, there was maybe 15 or so at the start, and it was a big sort of, I guess, celebration as it is 21st. Again, another quite ingrained in the culture. Let's head out and get absolutely off our trolley again. And one by one, they started going home and heading back to their various cities, and it started dawning on me again that all of a sudden it was just going to be me once again in this city and although I'd escaped the four walls now in my own head I still felt very alone in, in this whole city I, I, I knew I was alone I knew, I knew it, was, it was just me just breezing through almost just just gliding through on this on this journey of um of inebriation uh, and I made a call uh, I made a call home in the early hours one one day to my mum and um and the sole purpose of the call was just to say goodbye 
I, I didn't I didn't want to I didn't, I, could, I felt as if I'd reached a point where I just I could no longer go on any further. Um, I knew how far I'd fallen into this pattern. Now I felt I was trying to cope with these um, these issues I was having, but even what I was doing to cope with this wasn't working. And ultimately, at this point now, looking back, I can realise that obviously the alcohol was now acting as a further depressant and putting me deeper and deeper into that hole I was initially trying to get myself out of. Um, yeah, and there was, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not too vivid a memory, that one, heading back, the, the actual call I made, but I certainly remember the call, but not really what I said at the time. But it was all sort of, all, I guess, all a bit panic stage at the time and heading back and almost sort of crisis, crisis control from family. Some friends found out at the time, but only a few close ones. Um, but I wasn't prepared to make the change. And I, I still felt as if that was my only way of getting through this was blackout drinking that, that 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 was it that was that was just how i was going to get through life there was nothing that could solve it for me there was no there was nothing that there was going to switch or change over or, or medicinal or this that was all of a sudden going to save me from my own derogatory mind and i quickly i was taking taken back to carlisle after this call um and i did go to the doctor at this point and i was completely open about um the struggles i'd had and, and early on and I was recommended sort of like some antidepressants and stuff then and sort of counselling. And I turned it all down at the time. Um, and I got myself a train ticket. I didn't drive back then. Um, probably a good job because I was always over the limit. And, uh, <laughs> and um, I took myself back up to York and just carried on exactly how I was doing. Um, and this was all the way up until maybe at least, at least sort of 25. So again, that's four years after that call. Still just carry on exactly as I was daily. And if I'm honest now, I can't really tell you a day that I didn't. I didn't drink that sort of level over that time. It was it was completely. I mean, I mean, you go on about sort of hangovers and stuff. I, I barely think I've really had one because I just I was never I was never off it long enough to to get those feelings. It was just start again. The only the only time you were stopping was when I was sleeping, and that for me was just how I got through it. That's um. Yeah, I'm trying to find the sort of the right words to to say about all of that and just kind of taking it in as, as I've listened. It's it's amazing that you can really speak about it in such clarity now. That's testament to where you are and, and who you are and how you've managed to you know really drag yourself back out of this into somewhere really positive, which we're definitely going to come on to soon. Because there's some really cool things that have come out of this that I really like. But it seems that at that time from sort of 20 to 25, those sort of four to five years. Even after that phone call, still hooked, you're still back in, you're still like living that life with with almost sort of the just blinkers of this is the only way. It was interesting how you kind of you you, you sort of held your head down and walked into pubs and bars that you used to frequent and say, Oh, well, was I right last night? It's like you almost trained yourself to kind of just be sort of sensible you know i'm not going to act drunk i'm not going to be drunk i'm not going to get larry or anything like that i'm just going to do this so i can do it in my own way in my own time and just be this person to get me through this and it's i find it so interesting how sort of we can sort of depend on these things that are so damaging and so bring us down so much but in a weird way they do kind of keep us on some sort of a, of a path you know, like you said, if it wasn't for the booze, you don't know what could have happened. So in a weird way, kind of the booze has, has helped you to get to where you are now. 
and I think I'm reflecting like that is is a really powerful thing. Um. So yeah, like so then we bring in the, this what you've got now this passion for the outdoors, the passion for food that's always been there. Was that still there in those four to five years? The passion for the food, or or was that kind of like something that if it, the opportunity came up, great. If not, you know, kebab, kebab it, you know. <laughs> I think I think I think yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. I think the passion for food certainly was, but maybe the passion for cooking wasn't so much there. <laughs> um, I mean, there, there was times during this point. I mean, I, I, at one point I was living above the pub. I was living in. Uh, I was sort of management in hospitality in the hotels, and and when I was living, really, it, it was it was borderline squalor where I, where I was in. It was just literally somewhere to put your head down with, with a roof. You know, I, I, I think I had a running water on a tap. You know, I had barely a shower, but I had no cooking facilities or anything. What one place I lived in at the time, I had nothing. I just it was just so it was just almost takeaway existence, and a lot of it really was almost just liquid sustenance. Oh, again, as you as you'll know in that sort of trade, when you're working um, in some of the shifts, I mean, you, you're doing breakfast shift through to close some days. I mean, it's with you know with your only breaks being those smoke breaks, and it was really just you know you pick a few spare chips out of the kitchen every now and then you can go and make a sandwich here and there, and it's that's kind of, that's kind of the lifestyle you're in. You are very much just you know it's the old joke of chefs making these fantastic dishes. In these restaurants and but solely their sole existence is generally pints of lager and cheese sandwiches you know well once exactly they've made that, yeah. dishes, it's exactly that but it's but yeah you, you made a point there in terms of um utilizing the vices sort of thing in that escape and i think for me that's that is something that ultimately you're just craving that sort of that happiness i think and that dopamine hit and for me at the time alcohol gave me that but as time went on and tolerance started to build, it took longer and longer to get to that stage of happiness. Um, and then ultimately falling off the other side and heading back into, into oblivion. But, but I think some people, they find it in all different ways, you know, whether it's, whether it's through harder drugs or whether it's through that, or if it can be things like gambling, that feeling of sort of, you know, riding the highs and feeling the lows or, or even more positive vices more like now where it can be more sort of even like exercise or it can be, out on these hikes or, or again even food i mean food itself can be something that can, people can struggle with either under consuming or over consuming but ultimately i think it's all about that feeling of of dopamine and that hit of happiness that we all just want we just we just want to be happy essentially um and it is difficult to look back on that period really and to say that i don't really regret how how deep i fell into that world of alcoholism and, and, and i mean that the money side and the financial side is disgusting looking back on how much i, I spent on that and I, you know, I was lucky to get some inheritance from from a, from a family member at one point, and who um, I say well, I say lucky. Obviously, it was ultimately came from his from his departure. But, <laughs> not not the right word, but he, he's my, my great uncle, and um, and I, again being the eldest in the sort of family at that point, I was the one who he came into came into my sort of trust the first, and it just all went down my neck, Ali. All of it gone, and it could have been a really sort of benchmark to push you on in life or get to another step, and. And I remember my mum sort of has something sort of now. She she jokes about looking, going, you know, you wasted that, you wasted that. But I do see it more as as almost in a funny way, it was an investment in myself. W without that, I wouldn't have got through that stage, and I, and I wouldn't be here. I know, in a fact, for a fact, I wouldn't be here talking to that point. I wouldn't have been able to get through that without an escape like that for me. So that was my happiness, albeit clouded in darkness and clouded in unhealthiness 
there was moments in there that just freed you. And it's yeah, it's funny looking back but to say to say somebody you get to those levels and that it's not a regret, but but it all came to a head in the end in, in, in 2016, basically, where um I was actually found myself in a relationship at this point. And um I was really still keeping this this side secret. I mean, my, my, my drinking lifestyle again, as as you mentioned, I was I was quite the same sort of character. I didn't really change too much. My eyes sort of glazed over, I think. And obviously I was um maybe 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 the walking goes a bit after 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 that sort of consumption. But generally speaking, I wasn't I wasn't a different character. I was just sort of more sedate. So often people would sort of, you know, ask you, you know, have you had a drink today and sort of stuff? You'd be like, oh, I've had one or two. And I'd, I'd already be in sort of double digits by that sort of player, but they wouldn't be able to sort of even notice. And it was just that ingrained into my daily existence. But I kept this all secret from this relationship. And there was times where it came to a head at points and, and arguments sort of came. And, and it really felt as if I was almost in two relationships. I was in one with sort of with, with a drink and I was in one with, with this girl that I loved at the time. And ultimately, I think I ended up resenting the fact that she was trying to get in the way of that um, and trying to get me off the drink. And, and it's, it's, it's a difficult bit to go in because I, I, I ended up, I acted, I acted unfaithfully under the influence in the end, which was the end of that relationship. And it's something to this day that I, I can't really get my head around in terms of to, to why I did that because that was something that was completely out of my character. Um, loyalty was always something that I valued so so highly, and um, moments like that, and, and the termination of that that relationship, and, and seeing the hurt I'd caused to another individual through losing to almost my 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 wits and 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 what I was in control of just, just broke me, absolutely broke me, Ali. And I vowed to quit alcohol that day, basically. Um, at first, I think to try and to try to to win this girl back and sort of in sort of in love in that sort of way. But ultimately, as time went on, I realised it, it was for me, and it was it was it was what it took to get to that point for me to become someone who I knew I wasn't. And by that point, I knew I'd be compromised by by alcohol, and that's when I came to terms with the fact that I'd become an alcoholic. I think it's really interesting that you mentioned about the control and you know loyalty being a really strong value to you and I'm sure it still is but ultimately I think with certainly with addictions when you come to a point where you change and you realize one of your um, part of your ethos or part of who you are that you feel strongly about has suddenly you've broken that almost code to yourself and you've lost control it's certainly a point at which many people go fuck there's a I'm out of control I've done something really bad now and I need to address it. And I think that, that that control element, certainly with addictions, you know, you'd like to think you're always in control. And then that bit where you suddenly you're not in control. I don't, you actually realize that you're not in control. There's a huge kind of shift in where you are. So it's really interesting. You, you brought that up. Do you want well, the last question on this before we move into sort of the things you're doing now, do you think knowing what you know, do you think you were always destined to be addicted to something, whether that's booze, whether that could have been drugs, could it have been exercise, could it have been food? Well, you know, that sort of uh, behaviour. Do you think that you, would, you were destined to have some sort of behaviour in your life at some stage to allow you to deal with the other things that were going on in your mind? I think from where I am now, 
and knowing sort of traits I have still to this day, I certainly think it's it's a personality trait, yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know whether I always knew it was going to be sort of a more of a negative vice like that, but I mean, I, I struggled to get with sort of weight growing up as well in terms of food and stuff like that. I and mean, even I joke, I joke sort of even now that you know you can't put you can't put the biscuits in down, you know, sort of thing. Even that sort of that sort of addiction sort of nature where <laughs> the easiest thing is just not to buy them in the first place because otherwise they just get finished. Especially those chocolate hobnobs, they're they're, they're very addictive. <laughs> it's um, it's yeah, diff- various different things have always been there um, in that sort of nature, and um, I don't know whether that's whether that's hereditary or whether that's something that you know you fall into, um, but undoubtedly, yeah, I, I have addictive tendencies. I think, and whether it was the smoking, the drinking, whether it's food, um, they've they've all played a part. I suppose food's that food's one of the hardest ones, I guess, because it's something we always need. Um, and obviously enjoying my food as well in terms of the cooking side, that bit as well. You know, you can almost go a bit down the indulgent avenue sometimes and have to curb that slightly. But thankfully, more positive vices uh, like the act activity and, and like sort of the gym and, and hiking that will come on to um, help well, yeah. sort of balance that out slightly, shall we say. Yeah. Well, I, I, like I was saying to you off, off record earlier, like I think you've got a really cool thing going on where you've got this, you know, there's, there's various pillars of well-being that people talk about all the time. Three of the ones that I quite regularly talk about is the sort of the physical health, your physical well-being, your nutritional well-being, and your sort of emotional well-being, and how those those three are very interlinked. And you kind of, I don't know, through through your experience now, you're sort of doing this emotional well-being because you're very obviously in touch with your background and what what has made you who you are. And you're very open and honest with yourself and others. So you're obviously much more emotionally understanding of, of, of who you are. The physical well-being, you get yourself outside a lot. You live live in the lakes, which is just a beautiful place. And I'm definitely not jealous at all. <laughs> and you're also well into your, your food. And you've started to merge this, this sort of great um, passion for cooking with passion of getting in the outdoors. And you've started this fell foodie, almost sort of, campaign community where you're outside and you're showing people that you can cook great food in the outdoors with simple kit and I really like that and I want to talk about that but also I just want to sort of link the two sort of parts of this story together so you'd 2016 you'd fallen out with or you'd broken up with your partner at the time someone you loved you've been disloyal you've lost control of of your addiction and you realized right, this is it, and, and this is the turning point. I'm going to sort this out. But it's one thing to think that and know that. The, the, the much harder thing, which you'd already tried to do when you reached out to your mum, but the, the, the much harder thing is to, to action that thought of I'm going to stop doing this. So how did you do that? How did you, how did you just knock booze on the head and move on? It was... It was a complete right turn in my life, really. Let's, let's say I was heading one direction and I just suddenly went the other one. And um, it is something I know, again, when they talk about um, with various addictions and coming off things, whether alcohol is one of the ones, really, that they, they, they sort of say that you should, at that sort of level, you shouldn't really be going sort of cold turkey and stuff, really. You should almost weaned off or other bits. But um, I don't have experience sort of harder drugs myself, but I understand more of those are generally okay to just go cold turkey on and, but for me, it was, it was, I was, my motivation was just so different at the time. I was so 
motivated at that point to almost right my wrongs in a way that it my, my focus switched completely. But I also knew that I could no longer be in that situation that I was in. So I was in this city. The city I'd now been in for about seven years. I was in hospitality. I, I was in. I was management at this point. I was um, high up. Obviously, I had my, my my flat there and stuff. All of this, and I decided overnight that I had to leave all this behind. I, I couldn't be in that situation and get sober and and get myself back on track. Um, I knew I certainly couldn't be in the hospitality trade, as we mentioned before. I mean. One thing, trying to quit smoking in that trade, and I, I, I was still smoking at the time as well. I, I quit that at the same time, and it was. But alcohol, uh, there was no way I was going to be able to still dispense alcohol and tell everyone else I was no longer drinking. It just wasn't going to happen. And I didn't really, I didn't really, um, I guess, hold myself um, accountable to anybody at this point. I just literally packed my bags and I left. I didn't say goodbye to anyone. I basically, I just quit my job. I left my flat. I'd lost my girlfriend already. Um, and I came back to Cumbria. And at this point, I, I was very open for the first time on uh, my, my personal Facebook page at the time. And I said exactly why um, I'd had to, I had to come back home, and why I'd left this city so abruptly. Um, and for many, of course, they, they, they never knew this bit. But for me, it was something I'd been carrying for for well over a decade at this point now well over a decade of just just suffering through with like these thoughts that had then turned into this alcohol escapism and and the outpouring of support i got at this point was 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 huge and it and it, and it was instrumental really in those early days that turnaround and people go on that, that that about sort of time to talk and and reaching out to others and stuff and for me i held it in for so long and just realizing these people, I mean, again, these people, you know, they're friends and family, and they're friends and family generally for a reason. I know you can't choose your family at times, but those you, you stick close to and have good relationships with, it's no, it's no surprise, really, the fact that it was so positive and so supportive at this point. And one of the big things at this point was a lot of friends turning up because um, I, I, went, I went back home initially to the family home. And again, I just come completely cold turkey. And a lot of friends had sort of turned up on my doorstep and basically were, were, were taking me out on various bits. So one friend had turned up with, with, with his bike, said we're going for a bike ride. Another friend had said, right, let's go to the gym. And all these bits, and they were all basically things of still being able to socialise and still being able to go out with friends that wasn't going, right, let's catch up down the pub, you know, as it was before. Um, I mean, that was another side. I, di I didn't, I didn't um, try and leave behind as such. I was still someone, I, I knew I was giving up booze but I wasn't giving up my life, you know, so I didn't want to be someone who was no longer going to get invited to, to parties or weddings and this sort of stuff either. So I made sure I was still, you know, I still tried to get myself in those situations, but the outdoor side and the active side was something that quickly filled that gap that alcohol had been having such a key part in. Um, but it was one friend in particular who, who, who turned up, um, Ryan, one of my best friends, who turned up at my doorstep and said he was going to take me for a walk. And I knew nothing what to expect at the time. I mean, I, mean, I was it a walk around the woods or a walk around the town. And I didn't really have any gear at this point. And I didn't really have any money to my name because I'd, I'd just literally left York and left to pay all my debts for that after I had. Um, well, ones I remembered anyway. There may be still some bar tabs open to this day. But um, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, and basically, and I just sort of done what I had. So I just had like a, a pair of swim shorts. I think that I had like an old jumper from, from that you wear down the pub and a pair of trainers. And, 
And he took one look at me and said, I, said, I couldn't go like that because his, his plan was to take me up into the Lake District and to head up hiking up Blencathra. Uh, and for those that don't know sort of the Lake District, I mean, Blencathra is one of, one of the higher fells in that sort of way. And But this completely, you know, lethargic soul who hadn't done any exercise for how many years, and, you know, I was well overweight at this point. I'd just literally stopped smoking. Um, you know, and I was still coming off the alcohol with jewels in sort of cold sweats. And my mind was all over the place. And to be sort of frog-barched one of the biggest fellows in the lakes at this point was, well, it wasn't really an enjoyable experience, if I'm honest, but, <laughs> but it was something that, that I was just so determined to make this change and, and again, to, to, be, to leave that person I'd become and behind and make him a stranger that we just continued on. And um, upon reaching the top of this summit, I remember there was barely even a chance to get a breath and he just took one look at me and said, uh, well, Helvellyn next week then. And again, for those that know, again, that's that's the third highest mountain in, in England sort of way. So that was it. A week later, and once again, at the base of Helvellyn, marching up um, up to the top of these fells. And, and upon reaching the summit in that second week, it just really sung to me. It was something, it almost felt like a bit of a physical manifestation of what I was going through, I guess. This, this uphill struggle and pushing through and, you know, a, a, a really um, reaching that sort of summit point and, and being above almost the clouds and looking down below on what you'd sort of come to in it. And it was a real sort of moment of clarity, I guess, if you like, and, and something that really sort of sung to me. And it definitely ignited a new passion and almost a new addiction. And and it really started from there with the fells for me. I mean, it was something that, I mean, I, I grew up very close to the Lake Districts, but I didn't really embrace it growing up at all. Um, but at this point, I was hooked and I, I, I was out. I, I, I'd relocated to the lakes at this point. I'd got a job in this area. And, and I was just out, out sort of in there what was at first hiking and later even turned into sort of running in these fells. And the life I'd sort of led in York was, was, was very quickly in the space of less than a year, a very distant memory. That's amazing. I love the, it's just a, a classic shining example of just the power of the outdoors and the, and the mountains. You know, you said it yourself, getting to the top of that mountain was a physical manifestation of your journey to that point you know getting up a mountain is not easy you get to the top and it feels awesome and that is symbolic of 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 an uphill struggle you know when you get there it's amazing and it's a life change it's a life shift and it's I kind of get goosebumps listening to your story because it you know it rings a lot a lot true with myself and the journey that I've been on as well and the, the mountains and the outdoors mean so much to me. And it's so inspiring to hear somebody who's been on a very similar journey, who's been inspired by the same sort of things and, and sort of almost seen the light and seen the benefits of the physical exercise in the outdoors. It's just really cool. I, I love it. How does the um, how does the food then tie into this now? Because on your Instagram, I've been looking through it. There's some really cool things that you've been you've been cooking out there. And I, I, this is just a little side hobby, isn't it? But again, it's one of those things, I guess I'm kind of leading down towards the, the questions about, obviously, food and nutrition probably mean a bit more to you now than they did, you know, when growing up and when you were really little in the kitchen, just watching your granny cook and all that kind of stuff. So you obviously food and nutrition and the physical exercise. What what sort of value do you put on those two things now for yourself? I mean, the exercise side certainly, I think, is something that undoubtedly I know is, is it has to be a key part for me. 
Um, I think it's something I, I've struggled with even recently with the lockdowns and whatnot, and almost almost having those those positive vices that are, that are sort of built into my routine now um, taken away in a way. So almost the outdoors felt as if it was almost off limits. And even someone like me who's in the heart of the lakes, looking out onto the fells from sort of my my window, really, I'm, I'm lucky to be in this area that. There were so many messages of saying, you know, you can't go outside, you've got to stay at home now. You can go out for a, a brief walk. And he had all that of mountain rescue saying you couldn't go in the hills and this sort of stuff. And the gyms have closed as well. And the gym's another place I like to get myself to. And but they've become sort of my new places of, of worship, if you like. Because at one point it was it was the pub and the bars. And now it's these moments of just escaping from not so much my own head now, but just more the day-to-day um existence of life and the menial tasks but that was all seemed to be taken away so it's been quite a testing testing time in that front as well um really but undoubtedly yeah for me that's something that i've really come to terms with um more so after losing it again after gaining it than losing it i now know how integral a part it is for me in terms of maintaining um my well-being both physically and mentally um i'm just not i just don't function without those things at all i mean it's again whether it's that that strive for that endorphin hit or however we find it. But the difference with exercise and stuff is you get that endorphin hit, but you don't have that huge crash on the other side. You don't have that huge moment of regret, that, that sort of moment of waking up in, in, in cold sweats and financial ruin. And it just, it's a different, different ball game altogether and something that, again, becomes addictive in itself. If you're talking about cold sweats and financial ruin, I would suggest not getting into Ironman triathlon. (laughs) (laughs) But no, but no, I think what what certainly rings true everything you said there about like you know the the if you're going to have these addictive behaviours, it's well worth trying to channel them into something that's going to bring you loads of positivity. And you know, can you exercise too much? I guess it depends on the individual, you know, it's a case by case scenario, but it brings, like you say, it brings you so much like endorphins that last and you don't have that massive crash and that kind of, you know, that, that almost that slippery slope to wallow in your own self-pity. Yeah. I think it's a really key one, you know, and you mentioned about the gym, it's kind of, it gives us an idea of what sort of routines and practices you prioritize for yourself now, you know, have you got anything, do you do any sort of, um, you know, knowing what we know about your past, do you have to sort of control yourself in any way or be aware of any behaviours that could potentially be damaging? Certainly, it's certainly something I have to be aware of, I think. And it's it's almost battling that that complacency um, in a way. I mean, certainly on the alcohol side, it's it's from what was a, a hugely difficult struggle um, mentally and physically initially, getting over that um, stage of dependence does get easier over time. But I still always try to sort of and relate to myself that you're only ever one drink away from, from back on that side. And, I, and it's always the question people ask, you know, in sort of social situations of going, oh, just have one, you'd be fine, just have one and this. And, and if it was that simple, then I, I wouldn't have had to quit in the first place. You know, for me, it just, it never, it's never is one. One leads to two, which leads to three, which leads to 10 for me and, and further down. And it's battling that complacency is, is, is the key thing for me, I think. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's one that really, um, looking out for those bits and trying to maintain that routine, I think is very important too, whether it be on the gym side of things. But but when it comes to food, as we mentioned before, food, food can be the toughest one to battle at times, I think, because 
I still enjoy in my food. I always enjoy my food to that level. Obviously, I'm cooking a lot more now. I'm a lot more sort of conscious all the time. I'm sort of not under that sedated bit. So overindulging on that extent can be quite a, quite a difficult thing to, to counteract. But I suppose that's one advantage to merging the two passions with uh, with the fells is the fact that you've got the that almost calorific exertion of getting up the hill in the first place to then start cooking. So it's definitely a bit more guilt-free in that way, I suppose, if you like. <laughs> nice. It was something that really, um, on that front, just just began really from that sort of love of just take, taking more extravagant packed lunches out into the fells initially, um, that sort of cooking side. And and quickly, uh, I started a bit of a, a social media account at the time. It was all completely anonymous, and I just shared pictures of the views I was taking, um, I guess sort of in the more sort of the gym work, and then the lunches I was packing sort of... Uh, on these walks, it was. I said there was no name to it. There was no pictures of me. It was that's all it was, and people took a bit of an interest. And um, someone suggested getting a stove, and it's really gone from there to that extent, really. So from guarding against those complacencies to building this sort of new routine to leaving that man behind, um, this new routine grew from that. And now I love. I just love nothing better than sort of getting up onto those those mountaintops now that are just, just so close to me in this area, just, just so, so in reach. Um, heading up there even after work, uh, as I would be usually going to the pub or whatnot, heading up there with, with some ingredients in my camping stove and just sort of sitting and taking in that nature and spending a bit more time there and just having that almost escapism on a different front and just trying to cook up these, these dishes and these nutritional bits and um, to, yeah, to, to feed that love as well and to feed that sustenance that we, we have to go in on daily life. But it's... Well, people talk about nourishment, don't they? And you're kind of, that is like the best possible way of nourishing yourself, right? You're in the mountains, taking exercise, cooking fresh, good food. Uh, you know, I'm not quite sure what more you could add into that. That's really cool. I've got two questions for you. I've got two, two questions for you. One sort of quite serious, but potentially quite helpful for people. And then one just a little bit of fun towards the end, but... What advice do you have for anybody listening who is potentially in your scenario of having a, a some sort of an issue or addictive behavior that they they haven't disclosed to anybody else or somebody who feels like they've got some sort of an addiction or depression sort of um, manifesting in themselves? What advice would you give to that person that they can kind of, you know, they should really take on board and think about? I think undoubtedly I've touched upon it, Ali. I think I think I, I've said in terms of that. I think it's hugely important to 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 reach out. Um, it's something I, I resisted for so long on. Um, felt as if I could battle alone, thinking you're the only one suffering from this, and and really you're not. You never are. You're not alone in these things, and it doesn't have to be someone very close to you. Be it family, friends. It could be medical professional. It could even be a stranger or someone on the other end of a phone or one of these helplines that there's so many of now that are so so helpful instrumental to sort of keeping people going um from these ailments but that's a huge part for me uh, and i think also in the outdoors has been has been a massive saver uh, and and without those really again it wouldn't have been this sort of this positive journey i don't think from the other side um i will say as well i mean i often get people asking um, on behalf of, of partners and family members and stuff and how they can maybe help them see this light. And it, it's a very difficult one on that front because I think it has to be a personal realisation and journey that sort of way. I mean, I do look back on those moments of attempted intervention and I just resented them. I almost I felt as if it was trying to take away something that was 
something that I valued very highly. And it almost built that resentment up between individuals um, to the point that I do see myself very lucky, the fact that I didn't lose contact with any family and friends because there was moments where it was very close to that. Um, I, I am very thankful for them for sticking around for that point, but it's it's a very difficult thing for people who, especially who are close to them and loved ones, to to understand that term of that individual has to come to terms that themselves that they want the help, and that first step is often admitting that and just talking. Mm. Very, very true. So the first step is always the hardest one, but it's the best one, definitely. Um, Absolutely. To finish off. I mean, I've really enjoyed this. Yeah, I, I love I love doing these podcasts because we talk to people who just have incredible stories of resilience and of positivity. And again, you've shared so much, and I, I genuinely appreciate your openness because it's it's definitely going to help some some of the listeners. And it's just an interesting story to hear that you know, no matter how low you get, there's always a way out. There's always positives to sit where you're sitting now, and the things you do and the way you can talk about it and offer the advice and the positivity and smile and happy, happy. It's, it's really cool. Um, I'm very, very honoured to be sat here talking to you. But the, the last question I want to ask is what's your favourite food to cook in the outdoors? Oh, the, the hardest one. <laughs> I, I always get asked this one, you know, I always get asked this one. I always have a very political answer and I skirt around and I, I don't give a genuine one. We'll see, we'll see how I do this time, but it's, it, it's, it's such a difficult one because for me, as I said, I just I, I love food and and I'm honest, I just love cooking, and that in itself for me is quite it's quite a mindful experience and quite an escaping thing to do. I think. How Even about home? How about I change the question then? So rather than what's your favourite, I'll, I'll give you a few options. <laughs> rather than what's your favourite food to cook, how about for a mem- what's the best experience? Okay, the best location of food that you can wrap up in one answer. If you've got a memory of that, best location, yes. But that's it for me. I think it all, it all boils down to the, the sort of who who was there at the time, or the particular memories you've had with that food, or the location you were there. Or they always bring memories, you know, holidays or certain bits around as well, or or, or special occasions and things. So I think that's that that's what I love about sort of food again, that bringing people together. But for me, in terms of um, cooking in the hills, in the lakes, um. One of my favourite views in the area is probably looking down sort of Fleetwith Pike, I think, onto that Buttermere, Grummet Water sort of way. And um, that's just a fabulous point. I love to sort of head up at like sunset when it's quite quiet and you really get that escapism, um, especially at busier times where you almost get the place to yourself. And, and having that and cooking from the top, I think, is, is is very special. And it's that secret ingredient you just can't put in at home, I think. You, that sort of secret ingredient of adding that into a dish. Um favourite ones actually in the fells of actual dishes I've cooked so it's I'm still skirting and I'm still skirting but I, 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 I just, honestly I just love all I mean I can't go wrong with a nice, a nice sort of steak out there myself I think it's nice steak pan fried that sort of way um that's a great start but also some fantastic risotto dishes up there I've done before um very nice I'm still yet to do something like a, a nice pizza on my camping stove but pizza is often a favourite down at lowland levels so yeah. I think that would quite quickly quite quickly take the mantle if I started uh, producing that on the felt top. I think pizza's a good one for when you come back down. You know, you come back yeah. down, you have get your pizza. I think that's a nice reward. I don't know that's how... it. It's guilt-free at that point as well, isn't it? If you've exactly. done that on the top, then you can eat that pizza and know that you're not going to worry about anything else. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, Harrison, uh, this has been a really, really great, um, a great episode. I've, I've enjoyed every single word of this conversation. And um, yeah, I mean, fair play to you for, for, for getting yourself out and getting yourself to where you are now. It's been a really tough journey, but it's, there's so much positives and there's so much more to come, I'm sure. And like life is a journey and you're kind of, you're still young, you've still got a long way to go and it's, it's going to be really exciting for you. But yeah, thanks very much for coming on the pod. Um, I'm going to put all your contact details down. Where can people find you and um, find out a little bit more about you? Uh, yeah, thank you again, Ali, for having me on. It's been, yeah, it's always worthwhile sharing. I think it's it's something that I think if you can help one person by sharing the struggles, then it's something that uh, will always make their struggles more worthwhile to me. Um, but yeah, you can find me on, on all sorts of social platforms. Um, I call myself Fell Foodie, but I share all all sort of the cooking, the hiking bits up there in the fells, but I also share a lot about my previous life as well and, and struggles and, um, and almost uh, memories of that as well. So, but, but yeah, generally uh, any social media platform, I fell foodie. Brilliant. Look after yourself, Harrison. And uh, yeah, as I said, when I'm uh, anytime I'm up in the Lake District, I'll ping you a message and you can cook me some nice food somewhere, somewhere awesome. <laughs> I'll, I'll hold you to that let's do it all right buddy nice one well look guys thanks very much for tuning into the evolve pods um yeah really like really great episode again and uh, we'll be bringing you some really good content soon take care everybody stay positive and uh yeah keep smiling